Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investing Podcast. I'm Frank Flegg, your host today, and today I have with me the amazing Amanda Jarvis Doyle. Hi there, Amanda. Morning, Frank. How are you? I'm good. I'm very well, thank you. Very well indeed. I know you had a a big help visit last night, uh, Amanda, with uh, a couple of the partners. How did that go? It went really well. Yeah, approached, um, well, it's the second time we've met a vendor. Um, A bit of a complex deal, um, but really exciting off market, a little bit under the radar um, because it's an operational business. But um, so I'm not going to give any any details away because it was, <laughs> um, but yeah really exciting opportunity fantastic quite a big deal for um for the new relatively new partners what's the um total value of the site it's a few buildings isn't it what's the total value yes yeah, so the, there are potential of eight buildings there's currently three operational yeah. um, and currently valued at 3.2 million um, with a gross development value of 5.5 Excellent. So, like a really exciting project. And what are you proposing to the to the vendor? Are you going to buy it all quickly below market value in one go, or are you going to do some control now, pay later? What's the uh, plan? Yeah, so the the plan is that we will pay seventy five percent of the three point two now. Yeah, she wants three point two. Um, which is I totally understand because she's you know she's spent a lot of, of a good five years developing this already mm. and, and getting it to a really high standard. She's just ready to go on to her next project, so that's fine. Um, and then what we've agreed is that we'll pay her the rest once the planning permission is through and we've got the development opportunity financeable. Okay. So that we can, yeah, so that we can raise the rest of the finance. It may be that we have to do some of the work in order to get it to that mm. level, um, but that she's happy to work with us to get through that through that process because she's already way down the line with it. Mm. Uh, so she's willing to stay on board to do that. Um, How exciting! And Excellent. Really exciting. Um, a quick question, because um, we've recently been talking about building rapport with with vendors. I interviewed um, Pauline about that on the last episode. So far, how much interaction have you had with the vendor? So how many calls on the phone, Zoom calls, how many meetings in person? How long have you spent with the, the vendor at each meeting? So interestingly, this has actually been brought to us by a strategic alliance. Okay. And they've been doing the majority of the communication with the vendor, which is really challenging mm. uh, because you've not got that, you're not having that opportunity to build the report at the same rate. He's now stepped aside, um, which is yeah. great. Um, he completely trusts us to pay him um, should this deal go through. So he knows he's not going to be cut out. Um, but the first meeting we had was probably two hours, 10 minutes, something like that. Mm. And then last night meet last night's meeting was again, it was about two and a half hours. So a lot of investment you need it, don't you on that kind of a complex deal. Absolutely. And how would you rate your level of rapport with the vendor now? Our level of rapport is to the degree that she's had a, lo- a lower offer but an outright straightforward purchase. Yeah. And she is saying she does business with people she likes and she likes us 
and therefore she wants to find a way to make it work with us. She's got a Um, simple, quick purchase at a lower offer. Do you know what uh, value that offers at? It's about one and a half million less than we think we can pay in total. But she's willing to wait um, a considerable amount of time then for you to get all your planning done and your development done in order to, uh, to work with you. Fantastic. Well done. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued about the Strategic Alliance. What profession are they? How have they come across this? So they're an estate agent. Okay, so you're, you've built a relationship with them and they bring deals to you. So they've actually bought this shoe rather than put it on the open market with themselves. It- the vendor has requested that it doesn't go on the open market ah, because okay. it's a business. So yeah. it's only being offered to people who um, would be con- you know, content to, to know that it's not on the open market. And, yeah, so basically that's why it's come via a street, strategic alliance that knows what we do and how we operate. That's the value of having those alliances where people are, are bringing new deals Excellent. And just finally, how much commission are they due? Um, how much are they trust in you to pay them? Um, I actually don't know because um, the vendor at the moment has offered to, is is pay, has agreed to pay that. Okay. Um, and at this stage, we haven't offered to pay her fees. Okay. Um, she's actually not interested in that. Mm. Um, it's a bigger picture for her. Yeah. It's the bigger picture for her. It's always a negotiation we can add at a later point if we wish. Absolutely. Brilliant. How exciting. Well, best of luck with that. I just knew it was recent. I knew you'd done it uh, yesterday, so I thought we'd we'd kick off with a little bit of information about that. And again, it just underlines that it's this business is about people. It's about building relationships. It's not about the properties. Of course, the properties are important. Of course, the numbers are important. But more important than that are the relationships. Which brings us on neatly to today's episode, which is all about full market value investors. Now, I think it's true to say, Amanda, that you have done more deals with full market value investors where you've sold properties to full market value investors than most other people on the partnership. I think there's you and Maddie and perhaps me that um, have done the, the, you know, a country mile more than, than anyone else. I think the three of us have done more turning discounts into cash flow transactions, which I'm pretty sure I'm, we're still the only organization in the, the country that teaches TDIC. It's a, a strategy that I came up with whew, 10 or so years ago, maybe a little bit more than now, maybe 12 years ago. And I think we're still unique in in teaching how to do it. And you've definitely grasped it and and run with it. To what extent has that um being a major part of your business it's a huge part of my business frank because it brings cash flow into the business which means that i can employ team i've got premises means that i'm not having to bring my team into my home my house isn't configured in a way that that would be an easy thing to do so it's meant that I can take premises that are away from home so it feels like I'm going to work. Um, I didn't find working from home really easy. It's, I think there's a skill in that. <laughs> During the pandemic, people have really realised that there's a skill at working from home. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> that didn't particularly suit me. So work, going to a place of work suits me better. 
Um, so it's enabled me to to take those premises and to employ team to assist me, which which frees me up to do more of the sourcing investors, going out and meeting people, and actually being able to help people make better use of their money. Yeah, it's about helping them whilst building your business 100%. So the process of a turning discounts into cash flow deal is that you source a property below market value, you source an investor who wants to buy properties at market value, and without owning the property yourself, you put the two together and you earn the discount. So um, would you give us a recent example of one of those? In fact, you've got one going through at the moment, haven't you? Um, let, let's do one that you've already completed on, Amanda. What was the most recent one you completed on? Uh, so the most recent one I completed on was a mid-terrace property in Derby. What was the purchase price that the investor paid? So 120000 How much did the vendor receive? The vendor received eighty-five on that one. Okay, so that's a difference of uh, 35. Um, the investor paid 120, the vendor received 85. So there's 35 left over um, that you received. How much did you have to pay out of that 35 in legal fees, refurbishment, etc.? So two and a half on legals for, for both my, um, the vendor and the purchaser. Yeah. And then it needed a... Um, it needed a new kitchen. Um, the kitchen was like the doors were hanging off. The it was damp behind the cupboards, okay. so um, it needed all stripping back to to be able to get to that to um, to do it. So we put a new kitchen in, and I think that came in at about three by the time we'd done the damp at the back of it as well. It's a tiny kitchen, mm. so that was five and a half. So yeah. that leaves you a twenty nine and a half. Any other deductions? Mm, no, I don't think there were on that one. And so you've earned £29,500 gross profit um, before you've deducted your overheads, etc. Um, on a property that you've negotiated but have never actually owned. So you've got no stamp duty, you've got no legals for, for your side of it. You're paying the vendor's legals and the investor's legals. And that £29,500 isn't equity, it's actual money in your in your bank account now because you've helped the investor to buy the property from the vendor. So that's the bare bones of a TDIC transaction. Yeah. How, and obviously quite juicy numbers you don't have to do many of those a year to have a, a decent income we we say to uh, to people that um you can earn 100 grand a year just doing tdic and of course you absolutely can you just need to do three or four of those a year and some of our partners um do many more than uh, than three or four in an average year for you amanda how many of these do you do i know you do a lot of other transactions as well and yeah. you're building your own portfolio but what would a normal year you be in terms of TDIC? So a normal year would probably be four or five. Uh, My biggest year was seven. Um, That was the year that I took my first team member on and so Uh, it it absolutely flew at that point. Mm. Uh, But then of course you get busy with the refurbishments and dealing with all the all the tenanting and managing of those properties so mm. it kind of slowed a little bit after that and i, and and I imagine i imagine um divided your attention now between your own 
property investing business and supporting all of the partners, EPP partners across England and Wales. I'm sure, I'm sure you're not as focused on TDIC now. <laughs> I'm somewhat, I have to say. <laughs> I can imagine I know how hard you work on the, on behalf of your partners. So um, if you're doing four uh, in a normal year, I think so four or five, and then um, you're doing seven in your in your best year to date what what is the average gross profit you're making off each deal how much is left in your account after you've uh, finished an average transaction on on average i would say twenty five thousand. that that is my average so that that mm-hmm. recent one in derby that 29 and a half that's slightly better is it than normal slightly better recent increase in in house prices yeah it's always going to help isn't it yeah of course the greater so yeah. Mm, excellent. So twenty-five grand. You're doing four. That's a hundred grand. If you're doing seven, that's wow, hundred and seventy-five grand. That's fantastic, isn't it? And this is this is cash in your pocket in an industry that traditionally is very cash poor. You know, if you think about the costs of buying a property uh, in terms of legal, stamp duty, refurbishment, etc., deposit. And then you earn a couple hundred quid a month. It's so slow to get that money mm-hmm. back. But if you can do a few TDIC flips a year, all of a sudden you've turned it from a poor cash flow business to a super lucrative cash flow business. You know, how many of those you need to do to replace your salary and go full time? Well, a lot of people would only need to do two maybe three in order to to be able to quit their job get rid of the the golden handcuffs and uh, and crack on with building themselves a portfolio um, in, that's an interesting comment actually frank because it was only one for me my previous salary was eighteen thousand. yeah yeah i remember yeah <laughs> so very easy for you exactly yeah, yeah but that also has a mindset challenge because um i think i did two in my first year and i thought i've made it I, I really thought, oh, I can sit back and not do anything now for the rest of the year because I've done two of these and that that basically, you know, I've, I've more than... That's treble, treble your income, uh, isn't it, pretty more much? More than treble my inco- mm. income and therefore like, I can relax, I can sit back and kick back and, and enjoy it. But actually, you then start realising that, no, you can't um, because ultimately that's not going to build your... It's not going to build your own portfolio. It's not going to help more people. Um, and that's ultimately, ultimately, my goal is to be helping as many people as I can make either a business out of property and be successful. So that's how I help the partners on EPP. Um, but Or to make better use of their money. And one, one question that I had recently um, from somebody who came on a seminar, actually, came to it to explore whether EPP was for them. We teach on, on our seminar the TDIC model. And what he said to me was, but why would anybody pay market value for a property? They can just go to Rightmove and do that. And I, I said, that's a really good question. And I think it's a really big mindset question for a lot of people who are want want to be property investors and i think that's a really good point to make is that the people that are investing with us aren't traditionally property investors that's the crux of it amanda i've been um in property circles for for a long time and 
the mindset is so much BMV, BMV, below market value, that it's almost frowned upon to pay market value. Uh, I'm sure some people listening, when you said that you were going to pay what the vendor was asking, you were paying market value for this um, development of properties, um, would have thought, oh, that's not a good deal. But it is if you can structure it in such a way that you use none of your own money. If you get 100% leverage and it's cash flow positive, that's amazing. And if that means you pay for it over five years or 10 years, if you give the vendor a chunk of money now, if you structure it in such a way, you know, we I know we've had conversations about the Stepping Stones Housing Fund funding part of that. There's multiple ways of of structuring it without using any of your own money. You might use some finance investment from investors. If you can structure it in such a way that it's a win for you and still pay market value, then that's fantastic. And I think in property circles, uh, you know, the little quotation marks around property circles, because mm-hmm. I, I think they value, they, they differ massively. Paying market value can be seen as you know, being taken for a mug, paying too much. But actually, market value is the average price paid for a property in an area. And that means that, yes, there are some people paying below market value, and there are some people paying above market value because that creates the market value. The market value is the average price at which a property transacts. And so there are many, many people who will pay market value. And when someone says, well, they can just go on Rightmove for that, it's a lot of effort to go on Rightmove and try and find a property to then work out which ones are going to rent, to then do the whole negotiation, conveyancing, and then to tenant the property. You do all of that for your investors. So it's a fantastic service that you charge no fee for. And all they have to do is pay for the property at what the property is valued at. So I, I, I completely get, and, and obviously you completely get it, that, that this is a great service you're providing for your investors. But would you like, would you mind talking us through, Amanda, how you find three, four, five, seven of these investors each year? Most people don't realize that they already know a lot of people who would love to invest in property but either don't know how to do it or just haven't got the time to do it and so I see it as my job to make people aware that there is a service available to them so I network in non-property circles Um, So I'm a member of BNI, so Business Network International. Um, I've just joined for my sixth year. So it's been an incredibly valuable part of my business, not only from the perspective of I've gained business from it, but also from the perspective of having a network of people that that I can go to to help me with other other things so that you know we've got an insurance broker in in my network and I know that I can absolutely trust him with finding me the right policy for any property that I'm sourcing for an investor so it makes it really easy for me to go to my investor with confidence to say 
have a look at this broker, have, you know, talk to this broker and they'll be able to find a product for you. So BNI has, has brought many things to my business, not just investors. But predominantly what I go there for is to ask for people to introduce me to their contacts and net people in their networks who have a desire to make their money work better for them. So if you consider the interest rates that people have been receiving um, on their cash in the bank at the moment, it's pitiful. And actually, if people just leave their money there at the rate that, that we've got inflation at the moment, it, it's, it's actually effectively sh- shrinking. Um, so part of my, what I explain to people is that, you know, people can't really afford to leave their cash in the bank. Now, one of my favourite phrases is that people don't walk around with a post-it note stuck on their forehead saying, oh, I've got I've got 40k sat in the bank doing this. <laughs> Please help me with my spare 40k. Yeah. That'd help, wouldn't it? <laughs> so it's down to the art of conversation. And um, what I do is educate my BNI group on what to say to people when they're having conversations with them to engage them to open up to, we're not asking them to tell them how much money they've got, but to kind of introduce the thought of, crikey, isn't the Bank of England interest rate rubbish? And, you know, people talk about it from their own perspective. Like, I'm really frustrated that that I'm not getting any money, any return on my savings. And it engages people in a conversation that says, you know what, it's driving me insane. One of the other things that I say is, you know, just ask people if they watch Homes Under the Hammer and think that it's a good idea. They'd like to do it, but they don't want to make a mistake. That's one of my favourite ones because um, I can then explain to people how we can do it in a much more efficient way for them. You are generally being introduced to wannabe property investors. Are they typically wealthy people? Do they have their own business? Do they drive Ferraris? Do Are they CEOs and directors? Um, or are they more normal? <laughs> Some are. Um, so I do have a um, do have one investor who's a um, a very a, a real high flyer, not a Ferrari, but an Aston Martin. But majority the majority of my investors are not. They are just people who've been very frugal with their money, and are wanting to make sure that that money works well for them. I've got people who are super supermarket managers, for example, working sixty hours a week, and would find it impossible in their spare time find a property that perhaps they feel is a bargain to um, to renovate and add value to and then rent out and find a letting agent and trust a letting agent and deal with all the ongoing maintenance etc themselves they've just ordered their third property um, from me my service to them is is hugely valuable because they know that they can just go away save the next deposit come back to me and say right Amanda I'm ready for the next one now and they're using that as a top up to their pension and actually a top up to the degree that they may be able to retire slightly earlier than they would have done if they hadn't um, started investing. I've got nurses, teachers, a whole gamut of of different people but predominantly not super wealthy people, Mm. predominantly just people who are just wanting to make their money work in a better way for them and give them some security and 
future wealth. It's really interesting. I, I, I'm just thinking through as you're talking all of the investors that have bought from me. And I do have a couple, only one or two that have bought five plus properties. But the majority are middle-aged people. I've had a couple that are quite young, but middle-aged people um, towards retirement and perhaps just entering retirement. So 40, 50, 60s in terms of age, very um, modest with their money. Um, I would say so you wouldn't know that they had money in the bank and typically yeah they've got a decent chunk of money um, 40 to perhaps 140,000 in the bank and they just want to they've got decent pensions often they've been employees most of them have been employees not all some of them business owners but most have been employees at a professional level let's say and they now want to get into property they just want a few properties to um, diversify out of the funds that they're in or the stocks that they're in their pension and and you just look at it and you think yeah that's a really sensible um, next move but just like you've got a stockbroker and you've got a financial to look after your stock investments and you've got an IFA who's going to look after your pension decisions they want an expert that's going to help them with their, I nearly said real estate then, I'm spending too much time in America. <laughs> I'm in America again next week. Um, their real estate investments, yeah, their property investing. They, they want someone to guide them. They don't want to make mistakes. They want um, to have someone who is working on their in their best interest, which of course you are. So let's, mm -hmm. let's take it through the process then, Amanda. Um, Let's say I'm a, an introducer to you. Um, what profession might I be if I'm regularly introducing people to you? An IFA is a really good mm. um, referral partner for me, actually, because they are already talking to people about their finances and pensions and other investments. And often people get to a stage where they're like, okay, I'm happy with what I've got there. I'd like to diversify and spread my risk a little bit. And she is a property investor herself. So the IFA that I predominantly work with is a property investor herself. So she sees the benefit of property being an additional source of security for people moving forwards. So let's say I'm an IFA yeah. and I introduce you to... Um, a client you know I, I i call you up and i say look i've got got a client um they're interested in a, a vital investment or two they've already got this and this and this in terms of investments perhaps they've just sold their business or perhaps they've um had a bit of inheritance or perhaps they've just been a prudent saver but yeah they've got 50k or 70k and they're interested in a buy to let or two can you help them so i would give you their name and number and uh, and you'd give them a call how would you then take it for because i think this is the bit that people struggle with I, I know new partners they understand the massive value of having full market value investors on their books waiting to buy and that's something we haven't mentioned this is all done to order so yeah. you'll take an order from an investor and then go find the property for them. But how would you take that through to that investor then being on your waiting list? So I have, um, it's, it's a great question, Frank. So I have a, a, a brief phone call with them. Uh, so three or four minutes on the, on the phone. 
basically just um, you know introduce myself, explain to them how um, you know they should they should be expecting my call um, because uh, my introducer is is a referral partner, so they they already set up the call, so they're already set expecting my call. So I have a very brief conversation with them, asking them what they already know, and, and often it's not a lot. They just know that I can. I've been recommended to them as somebody that can help. Um, I give them a very brief overview of what my service is. So that is that I source a property, negotiate and secure it, and um, then I refurbish it if it requires a refurbishment, tenant and manage it on their behalf if they wish me to do so. So that's not obligatory either. Um, But I haven't yet had an investor that's turned me down on that. So every single property that I've sourced for an investor, I still manage those properties on their behalf. So if a tenant leaves, I source a new tenant for them and um, I manage those properties on an ongoing basis for a fee. So that's an additional source of income and cash flow into my business as well. Absolutely. How much on average does that bring in a month per property? Per property, I'm not sure, 90 about £95 per property. Um, it's, it's just under £2,000 a month cash flow. From the ones that you manage for other people? Yeah. Well, that's a nice two grand a month just trickling in passively, isn't it? Absolutely. It presumably, presumably your team manage those. You don't get involved in it. My team manage them completely and it pays my team one of my team's wages. It's an added, added value to the investor and it's not something that I have to get involved in greatly. So I have that brief conversation with them and I literally stop at that point and just say, if this is something that you think might be of interest to you, what I suggest is that we meet and have a coffee. If the prospective investor is interested and say yes, when when and how do you book the coffee? So typically um, it's probably about between a week and 10 days later. People are going to be thinking, why, why, why do you wait so long? Why not meet them the next day if they're hot? Um, well, I don't want to. One, I'm busy, mm. <laughs> um, and um, it it would be pretty tricky for me to suddenly um, fit everything in, fit meeting somebody into next uh, into tomorrow. If they were about to leave the country for two weeks or a month, then I might I might try and work that for them. Um, if they were really wanting to get it wrapped up, um, a bit like our vendors, you know, if our vendors phone and they're about to be repossessed, then we drop everything to make sure that we can we can get out and meet them. Um, but equally, our investor sales process is very similar to to that of our vendor sales process. Um, we're busy people, and we don't want to come across as being desperate or mm. too available. So that's one of the reasons that we would we would wait a little time. It also gives them some time to process, do a little bit of mm-hmm. searching about about me if they want to, asking more questions of the persons to the person that's referred them referred me to them, if they wish. Um, but during that time, it gives me the opportunity to build more rapport and communicate them in more than one different type of way. So I might drop them an email or I might drop them a text just to say, and then another call just to say, we're looking forward to meeting you, um, just to confirm we've agreed that this is where we're going to meet and, and what time. So it enables you to put some touches in, which we were talking with Pauline on the last um, episode about, albeit in a vendor situation, the importance of the rapport curve and 
touching the prospective client in numerous encounters and in, in just to be things. clear there frank we're not physically touching I know, I know. <laughs> covid we used to touch them but we don't touch them anymore yeah i know i know <laughs> <laughs> that's funny um so you've dropped them a an email um you've given them a bell maybe texted them you meet them for a coffee what do you cover in that coffee chat as we call it and what do you mm. not cover so what I do cover is um, predominantly going into a little bit more detail about what we've discussed on the phone. So I ask them what they've remembered about what I explained and, and invariably they don't remember a lot. Um, so we cover that and I cover what we call our um, yellow ROI sheet. Um, so that's basically an example of a property that I've sourced for somebody else and it's a breakdown of the figures that. Um, tells them what the purchase price is, how much deposit they have to put in, what a typical mortgage valuation fee is, because that's the only thing that they need to pay, and what a typical bank lending interest rate is at the moment. So these are just, they're examples of ones that we've we've done. So I could actually physically take them to go and see that property if, if they wish to do so. And it's Make sh- I make always make sure that um, none of my investors get less than 8% return on their cash invested on an annual basis. Yeah. Um, so, um, but some of them are getting way more than that. Um, so I always work with one that's just, just above 8% because what I don't want to do is show them one that's 15% because they'll have <laughs> one of those then, please, <laughs> so, which is obviously much more difficult to, to find. I'd rather delight them by finding them a 15% one, but having promised them an, an 8% one. Mm. Um, but but actually the, the realistic expectation is that an 8% return is okay to find, Um, 15% is more challenging. You've presented that to this prospective investor. You've had a coffee. How long does that meeting generally last for? About 30 30 minutes. Brilliant. So 30 minutes is up and they're red hot. They're like, yeah, I love the idea of that. I'd like some of that. Um, What happens next? I then arrange to um, take them to have a look at some properties. So we go on to our three-hour consult. Um, so consultation where we take them around um, three properties we meet for um, I, I typically do it in the morning and, and finish with lunch um, we miss the rush hour traffic so we meet perhaps 9 30-ish um, I take them to look at three properties my preferred way is to do it at three properties at varying stages so I've normally got a property that is undergoing refurbishment or about to undergo refurbishment. I've norm I've I've usually always got one that's not recently been been completed, and then I take them to one that I've been managing on behalf of an investor for a consider considerable amount of time, which gives them a, a, a real feel for the fact that I look after the tenants and the properties to make sure that they're in good hands. So at the end of that, what are you aiming to achieve? So the expectation by the end of that meeting is that the investor will know whether it's for them or not. The yeah. property displaying and, and, and showing is, is just a reassurance step and another step in the, in the sales process, really. And at the end of that, I sit down and go through the armchair investor agreement 
that we have. Is this a surprise to them or have you forewarned them that you're going to get the agreement out on in this meeting? I always mention the armchair investor agreement at the coffee chat. Um, so it's not a surprise to them. They are expecting that there is an agreement that would take place if they wanted to go ahead and place an order with me. Fantastic. And, th- and then it's not a surprise. I don't feel threatened. Yeah, exactly. That sounds good. Um, so you talk through the agreement. I've now, or this in this perspective, investors seen a few properties. They've seen how they perform um, on a monetary basis. How long has that second investor consultation taken? About three hours. Mm, so it's a decent amount of time to build a lot of rapport. I haven't yet had it where we haven't travelled in the same car. Mm. Um, so I, I typically do the driving um, because I know the way from one property to another. But it gives them a chance to ask all the questions that are really burning. And I can just chat away whilst I'm driving and answer all of those questions um, and just reassure them, really. So you, you're actually talking to them almost continuously for three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've found is they don't think of the questions until their mind you know, switches off and they process what they've just seen. And then they have the question. And if they're in their own car, they can't ask you that question. They just worry about it. But if they're with you, they go, oh, what happens if you know the tenant stops paying their rent? Or what happens if I want to sell my property? And, and, and then you can overcome all of those potential objections so you've talked them through the agreement and they want to go ahead what happens next um so if they want to go ahead then we fill in the agreement um we write down how much available deposit they have i always ask the question does that need to include stamp duty or is it excluding stamp duty because somebody's got an available pot of cash i need to know whether they've got to get their stamp duty payment out of that as well because that can be a sizable amount depending on um the purchase price we cover all of that um we sign the agreement and they pay me £2,000. That's part of the agreement. So they pay me £2,000 that I hold on account for them. It's a deposit. It's a commitment on their part for me to go out and start looking for a property for them. And then what happens? Um, So I find a property for them. I drop them an email that says, I'm going to give you a call in a few minutes. How long does this normally take? So... You know, if you signed up an investor, do they normally have £2,000 on them? Do they write you a cheque? Do they back it later? How's that normally happen? So, um, <laughs> Do you whip out your card machine? <laughs> <laughs> I don't carry a card machine with me. Hmm. I normally nip back to the office and drop them an invoice so that they've actually got something to yeah. tangible to, to do. And it has my bank details on there. And they'll, they'll, in, they'll sign the agreement there and then when they're with you, but they'll pay yeah. within 24 hours or something. Is that yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't start looking until I've received that payment, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what I say to my investors is, it could be as quick as next week um, because I don't know how quickly the property a property is going to come up. But what I don't do is give them a, a time scale. In today's market, it's been really frothy and I've got investors who've been waiting over six months, but they're still happy to wait because they know how frothy, frothy the market's been mm. and they, they're just patient. They know that the service that I can offer them is still way better than them going into a, a really competitive market on the open market and, and being outbid by 10 other people on a property. It would just be really frustrating. 
so how does it finish off? When does your involvement as a property sourcer end? Um, so it doesn't really. Um, it Because I tenant and manage the properties on their behalf, I've got an ongoing relationship with those investors, um, which often triggers them to say, actually, Amanda, can I have another one now, please? <laughs> yeah, which is perfect for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it rarely ends. I've only had one one investor who's actually decided to sell their property because they needed the, the capital back out of it for something else. But apart from that, I'm st- I have a, still have an ongoing relationship with every investor that I've ever sourced a property for. I guess my final question is those investors that you maintain relationships with, how often do they come back for more properties you know what's the average number of properties that an investor will purchase so the most i've had is three so far i've got other investors who who are indicating that they will be looking at four and five so already got three looking at five that's fantastic because if you think about it if they buy one it's 25 grand that you've made if they buy two it's 50 if they buy three it's 75 grand each of those investors is worth so much isn't it absolutely Mm. those relationships need to be nurtured from day one Mm. um and you know they get um a christmas present from me they get um a birthday card um, one of them's had a baby, so I bought a, a, a gift for, for them. You're so, you're so good at relationships, Amanda. I'm thinking to myself, oh, I don't do that. Oh, I don't do that. Yeah, I really should do that. That's probably why I don't sell as many too, <laughs> why I don't have as many repeat investors. That's so funny. Amanda, that's been a fascinating um, delve into full market value investors. Thank you so much for sharing your time. I hope you have a fantastic week. And... Um, look forward to having you back on the podcast sometime soon it's been my absolute pleasure frank guys i hope you've got value from that at home i hope you've enjoyed hearing about how you can use full market value investors to inject cash into your sophisticated property investing business if in any way we can help you or if you are interested in finding out how to do these tdic transactions from start to finish including all of the paperwork you need to do in order to protect your interests, in order to make sure you get paid at the end of the transaction, etc. Then as Amanda mentioned, you can come on our one day seminar. We run them on a monthly basis here in Derby. You can come and attend that for as little as £497 plus VAT. So if you are interested in doing that, do get in touch with us. Drop us an email. What email address is it best for people to email if they're wanting to come on that, Amanda? So I would say sales at ethicalpropertypartners.com. Drop us an email at that email address and we will sort you out with a ticket to come to our next seminar so that you can learn how to do your first TDIC flip. Guys, until then, happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.